0: Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. We ask that you would speak to us. We've gathered today to worship you, to hear your word, to be reminded of the story that you invite us to be a part of. And today, as we hear these words from your son, and as we look at this story from the Gospel of Matthew, we ask that we would hear what needs to be heard in each of our lives. And that we'd be challenged to then respond to what we hear. Continue to pull us closer to you and to shape us more into the image of your Son. We ask this, Lord Jesus, in your Son's name, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I have one question I want you to think about today as we get started. Why are you here? Why do you come to worship? And not just why do you come to Salem Magley worship, because I know that for some weeks or sometimes, maybe you go somewhere else. And I'm not asking why do you only come here, but when you go to a church, and if you go to a church, even if it's not here or you're on vacation, you're going to someone else's church, why are you there? This is something that the spiritual council will be asking you to think about over the next couple of weeks and, and eventually you will have an opportunity to answer. But for now I want you to think about it and I want to tell you why I'm here. I'm here because I heard this story about a man named Jesus who lived in this small town called Nazareth in the northern part of the Providence of Judea in this region called Galilee in the first century, and that something happened in his world, in his story, that transformed all of our stories. And the reason I am here is because of that. Because there's something about that story, something about what happened, that leads me to gather to worship him and his father. And to gather with all of you to worship on a regular basis. And that is why I'm here. Because there's something about that story that transformed the world. Today I invite you to consider this story. We've been in Epiphany. As I said earlier, Epiphany is the season when we learn about what Jesus came to do and who he was. It's whenever he was revealed or when he was made clear or shown to the world. And so today we're we're looking at who was Jesus shown to be. And the way we're looking at his identity and his mission or who he is and what he came to do is we're looking at this passage from Matthew chapter 4. And it's chapter 4 verses 12 through 23. So if you want to follow along uh, in the Pew Bible here, you can turn to page number 1377. But it will be on the screen, 1377. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 through 23. So let's look now at this story from Matthew and see what we're going to learn about who Jesus was and what he came to do. So this is how the passage from Matthew opens up. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. All right, before we go to the next page, I just want to say a couple things. So right here, last week, if you were here, we talked about John the Baptist who baptizes Jesus and was baptizing people. Remember, Jesus was baptized and he came out of the water, and then John offered testimony about who he heard Jesus to be, and Jesus was proclaimed to be the Messiah. Well, John gets arrested And it's this breaking point where John was the one preparing the way for Jesus. And now Jesus takes the baton and he's going to run with it as John's ministry transitions. So Jesus goes from Galilee, in Galilee, from Nazareth, where he lives, to Capernaum, which was a bigger city along a lake. And it was a fishing city and it was along a trade route, so there's a lot of people coming and going. And he goes there, and this is what John, or Matthew, is going to say. He goes there to fulfill what is said in this passage we read from Isaiah earlier. And now he quotes from Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So Matthew is taking this passage from Isaiah and he's plugging Jesus into it. We talk about this a lot over the last couple of weeks, that Jesus is being connected. He's being plugged right in to this Old Testament idea about the Messiah. And what Matthew is doing is he's saying, Jesus comes as light into darkness. What he's basically doing is he's giving Jesus his campaign slogan. Campaign slogans are an interesting part of American politics. I don't know about um, other countries if they use slogans here's some that I think are interesting just to give us an idea. Tippecanoe in Tyler II, which none of us were alive for, but this was the campaign slogan of William Henry Harrison, who also, I don't know if you knew, is the first governor of Indiana territory. So he's maybe our closest claim to presidency, minus Abraham Lincoln as his boyhood home. I know we love to claim that. But Henry I can't even, uh, William Henry Harrison is also at least connected to Indiana. He also happens to have the, um, the wonderful mark of being the, the president in the presidency the shortest, 31 days. So that's what we have to claim in Indiana. But that was his slogan. Now the one that came right after him was, who is James K. Polk? And this is Henry Clay. He's like, no one knows this guy. Pick me. Another one. A full dinner pail, William McKinley in 1900. So at that time apparently you needed food and so he's like, I'll give you a full dinner pail. I like Ike, Dwight Eisenhower, 1952. You are better… Then here's one, Ronald Reagan, 1980. Are you better off than you were four years ago? And then one from Bill Clinton in the 90s, putting people first. Now there's other slogans I'm sure you can all think of from the last couple of years. But this idea is this slogan helps us to capture an imagination. So we could say, well, why did Jesus come? Well, this maybe is his slogan. Turning on the lights in the darkest of times. We could say that's Jesus' slogan. This is what we're learning about who he came to be. Why he came. He came to bring light into darkness. Now I think all of us can look around we can look at our own lives and we can say, you know what, I think there's some darkness in, darkness in me, there's some darkness in my heart, there's some darkness in the world that still needs the light of Jesus, right? And that's what he came to do, to bring light into darkness. So how is he going to do this? Well, this is what Matthew tells us. Verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now we think of John the Baptist as a prophet. We do not think of Jesus as a prophet. But Jesus is right here in this passage being a prophet. The prophets in the Jewish world spoke for God. They were God's mouthpiece and there was different ways that they would speak but one of the main ways that they spoke was calling on repentance. So Jesus comes and he calls for repentance. But what's interesting is that Jesus isn't just a prophet calling on repentance. He's also calling people to realize the kingdom of God is coming and he's the one who says he's gonna bring the kingdom. So this is the thing about Jesus, he's a little different. And we can think about him sort of like our cell phones. Now hear me out. Hear me out. We all have a cell phone. Now for those of us who are older, we remember what cell phones main purpose was. A mobile telephone, right? So we understood that telephones were a way to talk to somebody who was far away but to hear their voice. So that's what cell phones started out to be, but what are cell phones now? They're a camera that takes really, really good pictures, way better than the digital cameras we spent lots of money on back in the day. They're also a video camera, a lot better than those ones you used to put on your shoulder, remember those that had tapes? We have one of those upstairs still. Those things would probably cost as much as your cell phone, but they definitely did not make the same video, and we have this, it's also a computer. It does so many things. Cell phones also take these photos and these videos and they actually have these software that help you edit them. Which is mind-blowing because it used to be you'd have to take all of that video and put it into a computer and it was an expensive computer, but our phones do all of it now. Cell phones do so many things. Well, Jesus in the Gospels does so many things. He has all of these different identities. Well, today he's prophet, but he's also king. He's announcing the kingdom coming, but he's also the one who brings the kingdom. He's not just the one who says the kingdom's coming. He's the one that says, follow me because I will lead you as your king in the kingdom. And this is who Jesus is. He has this double role. But then we have to ask ourselves, well what is this kingdom all about? And what does it mean? Well this is how we can think about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is God's power and his desire coming to the world. He has power, he has the ability to have his rule, his desires come to the world. But we look around and we're like, well why is he waiting around, right? And there's a lot of ways to answer that question. And if that's something that really bothers you, I'm happy to talk to about it. But today, all I want to say is think about this. Alright, now I'm a big f- football fan. NFL's still going on. Now one thing with football that's interesting is there's this penalty called offsides. Now if you don't know much about football, I know most people do, but let's not assume you do. In football, and off-sides is whenever one of the teams goes over the line of scrimmage where the ball's at before the play starts. Now in the NFL, usually this is a defensive penalty. The defense runs over the line before they're supposed to. Now the referee has the power in that moment to stop the play, but the referee also has the power to let the play go. Now usually they stop the play whenever the guy's about ready to nail the quarterback. But they usually don't stop the play whenever there's an advantage for the quarterback. Because the NFL is all about offense. And Peyton Manning used to take advantage of this. When someone would jump off sides, he would try to throw a deep pass because it was a free play. If he threw an interception, it didn't matter because it was going to get reversed. But the referee had the power to either stop the play or not stop the play, and sometimes the referee would wait. God has the power to come and bring his rule at any point, but he has been waiting because the way that he brings his power is through his people. And Jesus comes and he says, follow me. The kingdom of God is here. I am bringing God's power. And then what does he do? He leaves the keys to the kingdom in the hands of his people to bring the kingdom to the world. And this is who Jesus comes to be. So, if this call from Jesus is this call to repent, how are we to respond? How do we repent? Well, Matthew gives us an example. Here in verse 18, he says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, come. we have these two different stories about these fishermen who Jesus encounters. And he says to them, follow me. So what Matthew is doing is he's saying this is an example of repentance. Jesus encounters these two gr- brother, these two groups of brothers who are fishermen. And he says, you know what? I want you to drop everything and follow me. Now fishermen were well off in the ancient world. Most people were very poor. There was not a lot of opportunity to have jobs that did bring you a little bit of extra. There's a reason in the ancient world that the way that they counted wages was a wage that gave you enough food for that day. Because you only got paid enough money to go home with the food that you bought after you worked. It was a day's wage called a denarii. But fishermen were different. They had the opportunity to make a little bit more. So we have Peter and his brother, Andrew, and then we have James and John. James and John are in the family business. They're working with their brother—or with their father. So for them to go, they have to leave behind their dad and leave him to do the family business on his own. And we know Peter was married from other places in the Gospels. So Peter has to leave behind his wife. For these guys, it was a great cost to follow Jesus. They had to turn from the life they were living, repent, turn 100 or 180 degrees around, and they decided to follow Jesus. That was the call of repentance. And this is one thing I've learned as I've gotten older, and this is what the disciples knew. You can't do everything. There could be good things that you want to do, perfectly wonderful things. But if you do that, it means you can't do something else. And so for each of us, we have to look at our lives and we have to ask, well, what is worth doing? And this is the question that Jesus has to pose to these fishermen that all of us also today have to wonder. Will we follow Jesus? Will we repent? Which is this, we're going one way. We have to turn all the way around and go the other way, the way of Jesus. Now there's certainly overlap in our lives. I'm not standing here telling any of you that if you repent, it means that you're going to become a missionary to Africa, or even that you're going to become a pastor. Because long before any of that, repenting means we have to look at the darkness in our own life and be willing to have the light shine into it. And that's not always easy, right? There's some pretty terrifying things about looking into our own lives and then saying, I have to deal with that. Now I know that's hard. By the grace of God, we're able to do it. But that's what repenting's about. The darkness comes into our very hearts and it shines into those dark places. And it shines on all kinds of things. But this is what Jesus wants to do. He wants us to turn from our lives And to let the darkness in. Now you might, or let the light into the darkness. Now I'm sure some of you are sitting here saying, well, I want to follow Jesus, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what's in there that I don't want to look at. And I don't, but you know who does? Jesus. And it doesn't matter. Because he wants to come and he wants to renovate you. Jesus wants to renovate you. I grew up watching Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Anybody remember that show? It was awesome. I mean, I know nowadays there's like a million of those shows, but that show was so good because it was on Sunday nights, I'm pretty sure if I remember right, and there was always a good story about it. They would come into these people's house and it was, they had some reason that they needed their house to be renovated. And the renovation team would take a week, I mean, that's how they showed it on TV. I actually wonder now if they could do it in a week. I'm sure if they did. It's probably part of why there was criticism about the show, but they they had a good they there was a good intent. They wanted to take someone's house and make it work for that family to renovate it so they would do it and it was an awesome show and now there's so many shows about renovation, right? There's shows about renovating your treehouse, your backyard, your pool, your fish tank, your car. I mean there's so many renovation shows. Because we love the idea of something that we care about being remade and made better. We love the idea that there's parts that need to be polished and made to look nicer and there's parts that need to be taken away. And that that is possible if you know how to do it. That's what God wants to do. That's what Jesus says, I'm going to repent. He says, I want to renovate you. I am going to take the parts of you that need to grow and I want to help them grow. I'm going to take the parts of you that need pruned, I want to prune them. I want to take the parts of you that are good and make them better. That's what Jesus invites us into in the kingdom. Jesus wants to renovate you because this is the power coming. But this is the thing. God's power, God's rule, God's kingdom doesn't just come for us, it comes for the whole world. The kingdom's about renovating not just us, but everything. And look how Matthew captures this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now we read these kinds of statements and we just gloss over them. But this is Luke—or not Luke, I'm sorry—Matthew saying this is what the kingdom's about. The kingdom coming means—and he gives a couple examples. Healing of every disease and sickness among the people. And there's other places in other Gospels where it talks about casting out demons and the good news for the poor and these other things. The kingdom comes and it renovates everything. It's not just for us. It's for the whole world. And what that means is the things that impact us get renovated. They get the power of God to come and overcome the powers of sin and darkness. So some things that fall into this category, disease, sickness, illness, greed, depression, anxiety, addiction, lust, hate, fear, war, division. We could keep naming things. Jesus wants to renovate you and that includes all the ways that the world negatively impacts your life. Jesus didn't come to take us out of this world. He came to remake or to renovate this world. And to renovate us in it. To be the ones that get to work with him to make it better. And then to be the ones to enjoy it with him once he returns. And Jesus says, I've come to call you back to this kingdom that is coming. Because I want you to turn from your old life. And I want you. Jesus wants to renovate you. So on this third Sunday after Epiphany, we're getting this again, this glimpse of Jesus's life and mission. He is the Messiah. Matthew's already made that claim. And the Messiah comes to remake and to restore the world, to bring the light in that darkness, to make things good again. And all that comes down to Jesus wants to renovate you. But this message comes at this prophetic call from Jesus, a prophetic call that all of us should hear today, a call to repent, a call to turn from our old lives to the way of Jesus. That's a call that we all must respond to. We must all hear. And when he comes, he brings the kingdom of God, God's power and his rule. And so he calls us to prepare, and for we prepare by repenting, and letting the darkness inside of us have the light of Jesus. And so what this means for all of us is that Jesus wants to renovate you. He wants you. He wants to remake you. He wants to take those darkest parts of you, and he wants to remake them. He wants to take the, the best parts and make them better. And why does he do this? Because this is what he came to do. He came to remake the world. To restore the brokenness. To bring the power and rule of God in his kingdom. And to overcome the powers of sin and darkness. And what this means is that the kingdom wants to do that. To do away with these powers of sin and darkness. Now in our congregation over the last couple of months, In last couple of years really, we have had a lot of death. What this says to death, and if you've come to a funeral that I preach at, you've heard a version of this message. Death is never celebrated. It is always a tragedy because it is this result of sin and death and brokenness and human rebellion. But the good news of the kingdom is the kingdom comes with God's power and God's reign and death has no chance against God's power. Jesus wants to renovate you. He wants to renovate the world. He wants to overcome and deal away with the powers of sin and death. And because of that we have this hope. But the tension is that we live in this middle ground where there's still death. But we have this hope. And we also know that even though we face death, that in the meantime, Jesus wants to remake and renovate us so that we can live a life worthy of the kingdom and to bring the kingdom to the world today. So here's a challenge I want to give all of you this week. Renovation starts with us knowing Jesus, and the only way to know Jesus is to spend time with him, right? So this is my challenge for this week. Every day, ideally, but I mean, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't think I'll be able to do this every day. I'm going to do my best. But let's all say every day we are going to read a section of, next week starts the Sermon on the Mount, which is in the very next passage in Matthew, Matthew 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount. So every day this week, let's read a section of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to tell you much to read, It's pretty long, it's broken up, so you can easily look in a Bible. If you don't have a Bible you like, the consistory when they bought these, they already said, take it. We've got more downstairs, we can buy more. Take this Bible. If you look in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, it is nicely broken up in these Bibles. You can easily read a section and stop. And be like, okay, I'm going to read the Beatitudes and stop at the bottom of the Beatitudes. It's really easy. Read a section. But before you read, this is what you need to do. You need to pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you want to remake? What do you want to renovate in me? What about this passage can you challenge me today to grow? And let's do that for a week. It's just the beginning of Jesus wanting to renovate us. But we need to take the time— to turn to Jesus, to open ourselves to the light, because Jesus wants to renovate you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we hear this story from Matthew about your son, this story about how he comes into the world calling on us to repent, calling us to repent by following him. And that we see that following him means the kingdom coming to the world. And when the kingdom comes, the powers of sin and death and evil are overthrown forever. And that starts in each and every one of us. Jesus, may we turn from our lives Of rebellion to you and may you start to remake and renovate our hearts so that we can be the people you called us and have made us to be and as a church community may we gather in that reality to worship you and to be a community of people being remade in your image a community that can help remake the world And to numb some of the effects of sin and death that are still here and to offer hope and to overcome other areas. May that be who we are and what we do. We ask this Lord in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.